night, the SACPA board decided that anyone who pays their membership the $25 annual fee between now and June 30th will have their membership valid until June 30th, 2017. Okay, it's my pleasure today to um, tell you about our talk, which is inquiring into increasing suicide rates in Alberta. Recent statistics indicate the suicide rate in Alberta has increased dramatically, concurrent with mounting job losses across the province. The most recent data indicate that 30% more Albertans took their lives in 2015 compared to 2014. Some attribute this grim statistic to the downturn in oil prices and the bad economy. But what really lies behind these suicide statistics? What are the causes of depression? And why does Alberta have such a high suicide rate? <coughs> the speakers will explore what some of the early warning signs of depression are and what preventive measures can be taken. As well, they'll explain how family and community can help victims of depression. Help me in welcoming our speakers, Mackenzie Becker and Adam Greaves. So good afternoon, everyone. And uh, before we get started, I just want to thank SACPA for inviting us and organizing this event. It's a very important topic, and I'm honored to be asked to be here and speak on this. I'd also like to thank Mackenzie, who did so much work and research on this talk. So as you can see, today we are talking about suicide. We're going to start with a, a very major factor, depression which is considered to be a high-risk factor for suicide. So depression essentially is a complex mood disorder. It's caused by several factors. There can be an intersection of these factors, which will exponentially increase the risk of depression. We're looking at factors such as genetic predisposition, personality, stress, and brain chemistry. So the way it manifests, as you can see, there's several types of depression. And this is, this is simplified, but what we run into classically is seasonal affective disorder. That's when people become seasonally affected by depression. Often during winter hours, lower light levels, people feel their mood getting lower and lower. There's postpartum depression. So following pregnancy, many women experience depression very challenging time because society's expectations are you've had a baby, it's exciting, you should be very happy, and yet people can feel incredibly depressed at these times. And it's important to have these types of conversations to allow that to be public knowledge, supported, and safer. There's depression with psychosis. So people can become so depressed that they can become psychotic. That is out of touch with reality as, as most of us know it. And there's dysthymia. Dysthymia is more of a low-grade depression. It's continual. It can last years or a lifetime. It doesn't become as severe as a major depressive disorder, but it's also a persistent factor in people's mental well-being. So as you can imagine, the main symptom of depression is being sad. 
a pervasive, despairing mood that goes on day after day, week after week, sometimes year after year. It, this mood, it has to be strong enough that it has significant impact on a person's functioning in a major arena of their life, such as you know, their social life, their work life, their family life. Some of the symptoms we're looking for would include changes in a person's appetite or weight. So you may find that going either way. Someone could be extremely hungry and gaining weight or no appetite at all and losing weight. They have sleep issues. Again, that's hyposomnia or insomnia. So they could need to sleep too much or find themselves restless and awake. Withdrawal is a classic symptom. People cease communicating, withdraw from family and friends, a noticeable loss of interest in areas that typically were interesting to them at one point in their lives, feelings of excessive guilt, hopelessness, pessimism, and low self-esteem. They kind of become a positive feedback loop in the sense of they amplify the depression, they amplify the symptoms, they amplify the thoughts, and it becomes a very powerful and trapped way of existing. Interestingly, people can also become very irritable. You don't always expect that with depression, but you can find irritability increasing. Okay. Right, so we know a little bit about what depression is. We know some of the signs and symptoms, but you might be wondering what predisposes someone to be more at risk of developing depression. So some of these uh, risk factors include things like having a genetic predisposition, family history of depression, um, emotional or psychological vulnerability to developing depression. There can be imbalances in brain chemistry or in body uh, systems such as the immune system, for instance. And another risk factor could be a major stressor happening in one's life. So that could be a crisis of some sort. And major stressors, we should keep in mind, that can include even positive stresses. So some, an experience that one might think is going to be a wonderful experience, such as retiring after a wonderful career. You anticipate this is going to be great, but it can also be very stressful. So things you might think, this would be a positive thing, could lead to depression. So what is suicide? We define it as an intentional, self-inflicted death. It's definitely a serious public health problem. And it's something that I want to emphasize we consider to be a preventable social issue, that suicide can be prevented when we intervene at the right place, the right time, with the right skills. It's a tragedy. Every suicide affects multiple families, multiple people, multiple systems. Every suicide is a loss. So what does suicide look, throughout, look like throughout the world? Uh, so this data is from a couple of the references that you'll see at the bottom. So the World Health Organization uh, estimates that about 800,000 people die by suicide per year. Uh, and this is actually increased for their pr prediction for this year. So WHO, or World Health Organization, predicts that one million people will die from suicide this year. 
And this is an increase. And over the past 45 years, it has been increasing. So the rates of suicide have been increasing globally by about 60%. So a statistic from 2012 says that about 75% of the worldwide uh, suicides are from low and middle income countries. And this may relate a little bit to the, some of the more common methods as well. So some of these include uh, pesticide self-poisoning, firearms, and hanging. So we're losing a million people a year. It indicates really everyone's at risk. There is a risk for any person to suicide in their lifetime. What makes it more risky are the following factors. I've got them up on the board, but pretty classically, depression has a high causal risk with suicide. Now we also know that concurrent disorders are very prevalent. If someone has a mental health issue, they're more likely to also have an addiction issue. Those two factors combined, depression with addiction, definitely complicate the situation. So again, if someone experiences a sudden crisis, that can be a trigger point. And perhaps timely, globally, major crises often affect people and cause suicide. So we look at populations have experienced high rates of conflict, violence, trauma, essentially. Now, within society, there are more vulnerable groups, typically marginalized groups. So if you're looking at people such as refugees, migrants, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered people, aboriginal people, there's a huge increase in risk factors. So interestingly, youth as well have a high suicide rate. And by far, huge risk factor is, is there a history of suicide attempts? If someone has attempted in the past, there is an increased risk. All right, so now we're gonna present you with some numbers. Um, so these are statistics, Center uh, for Suicide Prevention. Um, it's important to note that more recent statistics, so for 2015, 2014, uh, they may still be undergoing analysis and are generally inconclusive. So if you're wondering why it goes up to 2011, that's generally the reason why those stats are not available. So as you can see, between 2007 and 2010, the number of suicides in Canada increased by about 100 up until 2011. And then if we go to this slide, this is the rate of suicide. So it's a little different than the number. It's per population, so per 100,000 people, this is, in general, how many people were dying by suicide for each year in Canada. So it remains relatively around 11.5 11, 11 per 100,000 in Canada. So like Mackenzie's saying, a lot of the stats so far, they're not conclusive and they're not confirmed for the, for the last year, which was quite controversial. But from what we're seeing recently in Alberta, there is this upward trend in suicide. As you can see, the numbers are increasing, just the numbers, every year. 
We would have to keep in mind the population of Alberta is also increasing every year. So statistically, we're not exactly sure where this falls yet. Most recent da data that I have received, even as of today, has not been compiled. So regarding last year's suicide stats, that is still an unknown factor. All right, so suicide in Alberta has recently made the news. Uh, this particular news story is from Global News. Um, there are quite a few out there. Um, so basically, the headline for this news story was Alberta suicide rate up 30%. So on average, as you saw from our last slide, around 500 people die by suicide in Alberta each year. Now what this news story is saying is that that number increased by 30% in 2015. So the numbers that they reported were between the first half of 2014 versus the first half of 2015, those numbers increased by 30%. A quote from this article says that the province is on pace to have more than 650 suicides this year, so increased from the 500 mark. Uh, the provincial executive director for the Canadian Mental Health Association was also quoted in this news article. And uh, he said, what the numbers are telling us is that things have changed in Alberta over the last year. So we really need to be thinking about workplace mental health. We need to be thinking about how people are impacted when their jobs are lost and what kind of supports need to be there. So this has made news headlines. This is what some people are reporting. It's important to keep in mind. So the local picture is quite interesting too. When we're looking at the stats, I guess what really stood out to me and what I hope you notice on this slide is, is elderly males are very high risk for suicide. Those above 70 years of age actually are far above our national average for suicide rates. And the opposite is true for females who are over 70. They're not committing suicide. So just something to, to keep in mind and to notice. Okay, so we've given you a lot of information and a lot of numbers. Uh, you might be wondering what, what can lead someone to get to that point, to get to the point of suicide. Now there's a quote in that lighter blue box there, and I'll, I'll, I'll sum up what it says. So experts in the field suggest that a suicidal person is feeling so much pain that they might be unable to see any other option. They potentially could feel like they're a burden to others, they might see death as an escape from the agony that they're feeling day in and day out. So the suicidal state of mind has been described as constricted, filled with a sense of self-hatred, rejection, and hopelessness. Now, there's no definitive way of knowing when someone will commit suicide. It's definitely a case-by-case -case basis. There's a lot of individual factors that do go into this. But hopelessness is a major factor that can be compounded by a lot of other variables that really does uh, lend to suicidal behavior or feelings of suicidality. Now, some of the factors, they could be anything. Um, we've researched a couple articles that talk about economic contractions in Canada and whether or not that affects factors. So the results are mixed, uh, but I'll tell you a little bit about what certain researchers have found. So Pierrard and Grutendorst in 2014 found an, a modest effect for males. So a 1% decline in economic activity, 
basically a 1% drop in per capita GDP, coupled with a 1% increase in male unemployment rates, resulted in an increase in male suicide rates of 38 to 52 cases in the long run. This effect in this study was not found for females. Some other researchers in 2015 suggest that social and economic determinants of suicide in Canadian provinces vary across both genders. So again, it's very case by case. And finally, in 2014, those same researchers also found that the relationship between unemployment and suicide really is context dependent. So there are so many factors that go into it. So this will bring out the social worker in me. Kind of wanted to look at some of the bigger picture factors because we're looking at the economy, we're wondering about this. Globalization in general as a theme has brought major benefits to society and comes with major consequences. One of those being that our wages in the first world stagnated in the early 70s. That kind of results in socially people having about half the buying power they once had. So some 45 years later, we can, we can afford less than we once could. This means increased stress, increased family pressure, increased need for dual income families. Now, throwing that into the, into the mix, if we actually are looking at the oil industry, the average is said to be making approximately 167,000 a year. So it's, it's disproportionate wages compared to the rest of society. But that's not to say that these people don't work very hard for those dollars. They work long, long hours and give up a lot of their lifetime to work. Now I throw in the idea that 25% of, say, Calgary's population is a paycheck away from homelessness, from crisis, and you've got a real mix with an industry that's reliant on global factors for its pricing. So it's unfair to say that oil is responsible for the increase in suicide rate, but the current economic crisis with oil and the economy and people losing jobs without a doubt increases their stress, pushes them with the limits of what they can hope, increases those feelings of hopelessness, and could ultimately result in some suicide. Something I would want to point out, if you noticed our trends, the suicide numbers are going up gradually each year. But what that also indicates is it was trending before this economic crisis occurred, that these rates are climbing. And typically, what we found is once an economic crisis hits, people are very self-reliant. They're proud, they work hard, and they will exhaust their own resources before crisis really manifests. So typically, about two years from now, we're going to see the real results of this crisis. Now the message, I'm saying this not to inspire fear, but rather to inspire hope, as this gives us an opportunity now to anticipate what could be coming and to try to do something differently about it. So we've hammered home a little bit how it's very case by case. So you might be wondering, what do I even look for if, if I'm worried about somebody or I suspect somebody I know might be contemplating suicide? What, what can I look for if it's so case by case? So some, some people who are contemplating suicide might be afraid to reach out. They might be afraid to talk about it. So what you can do is you can look for clues. These clues can be things like the person talking about wanting to die, 
losing interest in things that they used to enjoy. So for instance, hobbies no longer hold the same joy for them. Uh, social withdrawal is a big one, so they may avoid being with people that they used to like uh, for no particular reason. There was no falling out, but they're just withdrawing. Uh, they may have more trouble at home, school, work. The important thing to recognize here is, uh, again, case-by-case case basis. So think about the baseline for that person. If they always struggle with school, that might be their baseline. But if you notice a marked increase in struggling, that might be a warning sign there. Some people misuse or abuse drugs or alcohol. Uh, some experience sudden mood changes. And even some may begin to give away personal items, so items that hold some sentimental value to them that they'd like to pass on to somebody that they love. Okay, so this is a handy tool. I hope that everyone can keep it in mind in the future. But it's a, a mnemonic to help you remember how to recognize the signs of suicide. So is path warm? The is being ideation. Is the person thinking about it? Are they talking about it? Are they indicating some of those signs? Substance use, another major risk. Purposelessness, anxiety, feeling trapped or hopeless, and hopeless is a very key point. And finally, with the warm, we've got withdrawal, anger, recklessness, and mood change. The anger can manifest as things like a person who's felt a lifetime of oppression and they're seeking revenge because there's a real fluidity there between that anger that appears nearly homicidal and suicidal behavior. Okay, and just continuing with uh, some of the myths. And this is important too. I can remember being a, a young therapist and struggling sometimes. We have to ask about suicide all the time and saying the word is a powerful thing to do. But if you talk about it, it doesn't plant the idea. It's not a suggestion. Chances are, if you see these signs in anyone and you ask them, that will not make them do it. And it's not the first time they've even thought of the idea. So it's okay to speak about it openly. Also, people who say they're going to do it, they may do it. That's a truth. So it's not a the boy who cries wolf situation. It's still a risk factor, even if they say it repeatedly. Now, some people say, if I was going to do it, you'd never stop me anyways. You can't stop a person who wants to. And again, a message I want to bring to everyone is you can. If you're the right person and you're able to talk about this or access the correct resource at the right time, you can make a difference. That people can change their mind, do change their mind. Many survivors of suicide attempts recount their regret and are happy they survived. So the idea of a note, it's a classic media piece. People don't leave notes. Sometimes they do. There's no guarantee. It's not a, a sure thing at all. And finally, children kill themselves as well. All right, so we've hit you with a lot of words and a lot of stats. So we're going to do a visual for you. Um, so what you'll see here is a jug of water. Clear. You can see through it. And so what I want you to imagine is um, Adam is going to be telling a story of someone. It's a fictional story, but probably pretty relatable. And uh, each drop of food coloring that I put into this jug of water represents loss of hopelessness. So 
Each drop, as you see the water get darker and darker, note how that loss of hopelessness would feel day after day after day. Loss of hope. <laughs> you got it. So let's say there's a guy named Ron, and Ron is a hardworking guy. He's studied at school. He achieved. He started his own business as an electrician. So Ron is working all the time to try to get by. Ron has a family. He's married. Most of the time it's pretty good and he's got a couple of kids. One of his kids has a learning disability and he tries to ensure that this child has all the opportunities in the world. Um, Ron's business is going really well. He's got his house, he's got a big mortgage, it's gonna last another 20 years. He's got two vehicles, he's looking at buying a boat, and he hopes for a recreational property. He's happy about it, but it is a bit stressful. Now, something happens. The economy shifts. His services aren't needed so much anymore. He's struggling to make the business work. Profits are down. He's home a lot more than he used to be. And that's hard on the relationship. His wife's not used to it. Now throw this into the mix. Turns out Ron's only been doing all these long hours because he's been giving himself a little boost. He's been using cocaine. Ah. So in the past he was able to hide this, but he's home a lot more now. And the cocaine use is obvious and it's causing problems in his own life and with his marriage. Now the business dries up completely. The banks are calling. He's lost his vehicles. He's lost his house. And his wife has asked him to leave. Ron's got no money, nowhere to live. His cocaine problem's active, and he doesn't know what to do. This goes on month after month after month and he doesn't see any change in sight. So I hope it kind of illustrates that these little stressors, they build up. They build up and they make life difficult and when that sense of hope is lost that's when people are most at risk. If they can't see a change or a positive future, that's when they're at risk. Now I know that we have just a few minutes left, so we're gonna touch on a little bit of prevention and then we'll leave this resources slide up for you so that if you'd like, you can copy it down or take pictures. What can you do as an individual? What can you do? Take it seriously. You can ask about suicide, so I've provided an example of something that you could say to somebody that you're worried about. Listen and stay calm. So listening for reasons uh, that someone wants to die may lead them to reasons that life is worth living as well. So for instance, if they say, I, I don't want to be here anymore, I feel so alone, you can counter that with, you're not alone, I'm right here. 
Uh, if their answers tell you that they do have a plan or maybe they have a specific day or they know the way that they want to commit suicide, it's important to call 911. Don't promise to keep secrets about the suicide or their thoughts. And uh, if they don't have an immediate plan, you can work on keeping them safe. So contacting resources. Now, for a national or even subpopulation strategy for prevention, basically what's needed is a collaborative and integrative approach. So that means combining multi-sectors of society in a national prevention strategy. So this would include education, medicine, law, psychology, all of those sectors and more. Uh, prevention efforts should be integrated and comprehensive and generally timely and evidence-based as well. It will make it more effective. So what the WHO suggests is that for national responses to be effective, it's got to be comprehensive, multi-sectoral, so collaborative, and timely. So. So just closing, um, I do work for Alberta Health Services, and Alberta Health Services has recognized this is a significant issue and implemented, even five years ago, a plan to start addressing this in a different way. And one of the ways we're doing it is, is ensuring that all staff will have suicide awareness and suicide intervention training, and that's a new initiative that's being rolled out to make sure that not just the frontline people, but everyone knows how to deal with this issue. There's also a piece that's working directly with physicians to enable them to better recognize depression and understand pathways of action, courses of action that they can take when needed to help people. Thank you. Thank you very much.